to begin our service. Can we go ahead and thank the team for leading us in worship today? Great, great job, you guys. Great, great job. You can go ahead uh, and be seated. I want to welcome you here uh, to Crossroads Church today. If you're joining us online at Crossroads Live uh, or YouTube, Facebook, wherever you may be, welcome, and Fort Lupton as well. And if you are new with us, man, I'm just so glad that you are here today. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Matt Manning, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads uh, Church. And as we get started today, I actually want to share a little like opportunity, cool opportunity that I had this last week to participate in. A couple of months ago, St. Anthony's North, a hospital just up the street here, we could like literally almost throw a baseball at it, uh, came to us and asked if we could partner uh, with them. And part of the partnership that they explained is that when COVID first began, there was a lot of support for medical personnel, a lot of encouragement and so on and so forth. Uh, but really over the last uh, couple of months, last six months or so, that that's like dropped off huge and they are like needing support and encouragement and, and a little bit of hope. And so they asked us like, could you, could you partner with us and bring hope? And so of course we said yes. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've had some students and their parents uh, putting together care packages uh, that we would take to every single COVID respiratory and emergency floor uh, medical personnel. And so on Tuesday and Friday, we got the opportunity uh, to deliver those care packages. And uh, we could only have like two people go into the hospital. Uh, but as we did, you can imagine we had this huge cart full of like these boxes and we would go to the nurse stations and uh, we would hand out their boxes. We would laugh. We would have some conversation. We would take some pictures. You can see the pictures up here. And uh, as we took those pictures and and then at the end, we got the opportunity to uh, pray and bless every single uh, one of them. It was, it was just super, super awesome. So after that, on Tuesday night, Trevor and I delivered the, the packages to the night staff, to the night crew. And I'm on my way home, and I get a text message from one of you, from a person here at Crossroads. And they send me this text message because somebody from St. Anthony's North, uh, who they knew, reached out to them and said, hey, I need to tell you something. And so I just want to, like, give the quote on the, on, the, on the wall today. Here's what they said. That your church rocks. It restores my faith when I've seen nothing and no care. I'm blown away. They're being Jesus. I've seriously had such a hard time with the church this last year. And this small act of kindness restores my hope and faith in the body of Christ. Churches just seem to be in it for themselves. And to see them care has literally healed my heart. If I lived on this side of town, I'd be their newest member. My heart has been bitter and hard. They softened it by a simple box with socks, right? I mean, yeah, you can go ahead and clap for that. It doesn't get much better than that. Like maybe a little bit, but not a lot better than that. So listen, this is just like the warm-up for us. Over the next five months, we're partnering with St. Anthony's North, and we have some really cool things that we're going to do uh, as a church for them. Not only like meeting them with their physical and emotional needs, but we're the church, and so we're aiming to, to meet their spiritual needs as well. Like we're bringing Jesus, we're bringing hope. And so this week, after that uh, opportunity and that experience, um, for the nurses and the doctors and the technicians that I could remember their names, I've been, I've been trying to pray for them throughout the week and just lifting up prayers for them as, as I think about it. And, and as I've been praying for them, it got me thinking about this question. Like, these are real-life MVPs. Like, why do the nurses and the doctors and the technicians, why do they do what they do? Like, why do they do what they do? I mean, there's not enough money in the world, is there, 
to, to do what they're doing, to risk their lives, to work the insane hours that they're working day after day. I mean, for some of them, they haven't had days off in months. Why is it that they get up every single day and decide to do this again? Why is it that they do what they do? Like, obviously, they have vision and purpose in their life to make the world better. But there's something more than that. Like, like what was it, what was it that preceded that vision that got them to that place? Over this last week, if you were here last week, then you know we started this series called MVP where we're looking at the purposes, the dreams, the visions that we have in life. And last week we started by looking at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, a famous verse in the Bible that goes like this, that where there is no vision, where there are no dreams, where there is no revelation, where there is no understanding of purpose, people perish. Now, the understanding of the writer there when he writes the word perish is not like a physical death, but rather a death, a perishing of of dreams and a perishing of, of aspirations. So you can think of it like this when it comes to your family. Where there is no vision for your family, your marriage struggles and your kids suffer. Where there is no vision in your finances, you just live paycheck to paycheck rather than experiencing financial freedom. Where there is no vision in your vocation, you'll just punch the clock instead of making a difference. Where there's no vision for your faith, you'll wander aimlessly through life instead of finding hope. Where there is no vision, where there are no dreams, where there is no understanding of purpose, people perish. They struggle. They burn out. Where there is no vision, people perish. And as we discovered last week, as we discovered last week, the real life tragedy for most of us, for most of us, is that we just kind of stumble through this life, hoping that tomorrow will be better today than today. But no hopes, no dreams, no plans, no vision. Just trying to live this life, surviving rather than truly living. And maybe, just maybe, the only thing that's missing in our lives is a God-sized dream, a God-sized purpose for our life. And so the question becomes, how do we find that? How do we find that purpose in our lives? And so over the next three weeks, we're going to try to answer that question the best that we can. See, when it comes to our vision, our dream, it is the sweet spot of our passions, our giftings, and our experiences. That is the center. It's the sweet spot of those three things, passion, giftings, and experience. And the first step, if we're going to to experience our dream, if we're going to find our purpose in this life, the very first step of finding your purpose is your ability to identify your passion. That your passion is that firestorm inside of you that lights your soul on fire, that forces you to act. It moves you to accomplish vision. It drives you in your life. It's that thing that's so powerful that if you know Pat Tillman's story, Pat Tillman was an NFL player, a good NFL player, multi-million dollar career, and it's passion that caused him to step away from that multi-million dollar career and to join the army after 9-11. Pat Tillman wrote this about passion. He says, passion is what makes life interesting, what ignites the soul, fuels our love and carries our friendships, stimulates our intellect and pushes our limits. That John Wesley, the great English theologian, he's the the creator, the founder of what we would call the Methodist movement, Methodist churches. He wrote this about passion. He said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. (laughs) Like, Like that's passion, right? It's the firestorm inside of us. You want vision for your life? You want a God-sized dream? Begin 
with passion. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at a pretty famous Bible story today. If you're unaware, uh, this story is about a guy named Moses. And Moses was one of the great leaders in history, certainly one of the great leaders of the Bible. But he had kind of an interesting start in his life. It started a little bit different than most. See, Moses was a Hebrew person. He was, he was Hebrew. That's what he was. Except he actually grew up in Pharaoh's household. He was the stepson of Pharaoh's daughter. He was the step-grandson of Pharaoh, the king of all of Egypt. And so he grew up with all of the amenities, all of the wealth, all of the fortune that was afforded Egyptian royalty. Except he wasn't Egyptian. He was, he was Hebrew. And so we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 11. It says that one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, that's the Hebrews, and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he, he struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. So let me explain what's going on here. One day Moses goes out to, to take a look at his own people, the Hebrew people. And the Hebrews at this time, they were slaves. That for 400 years, they were slaves to Egypt. They were slaves to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh treated them like dogs. He worked them like dogs. That for 400 years, the, the empire of Egypt was built on the backs of the slaves of the Hebrew people. And so one day, as Moses has grown up, he goes out to, to see his people, to check on his people, to see the daily oppression of his people. And he sees this Egyptian soldier starting to beat a Hebrew person. Now, chances are, for most of us, if, we've, if you went to school, public school, you probably witnessed a bully picking on someone in your life, maybe even beating their victim. If you've ever seen it, it's hard to watch, isn't it? You never forget it. That Moses is watching this happen to, to one of his people. The blood, the terror, the helplessness, the screams, the cries. And Moses, as he's watching it, gets it to a point where he says, I, I just can't take this anymore. I can't watch this. I can't stand for this. I can't take this anymore. And he rushes to the defense of the Hebrew person and the, he, and the Egyptian soldier and Moses, they start to struggle together. And in the struggle, Moses actually kills the Egyptian. He buries him in the sand, hoping that no one saw it. Verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Listen, the very next day, Moses goes out again to look upon his people. And this time he sees two of his own people fighting. And he runs in and, he, and to break up the fight. And he says, why, why are you fighting with your brother? Like you are already slaves. Like this, this happens to you all the time, that you're already living under oppression. The Egyptians are already beating you. Why would you do this to each other? And it's like Moses gets to the end of his emotional rope and he's just, the frustration is boiling over as he watches the toil of his people. And it's like he just gets to this point where he's like, I just can't take it anymore. And these two guys who are fighting, they give it back to Moses and they say, hey, bro, we, we saw what you did yesterday. And Moses gets scared. And he takes off running. Well, we fast forward to Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses, he's, 
He's kind of doing his own thing. He set up a new life for himself. And one day, as he's walking through the valley, he comes upon this bush that is burning, like it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And as he's sitting there trying to like figure out what's going on with this bush, all of a sudden, like God begins to speak to him. It's like this shock and awe moment. And here's what God says in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter three, verse seven. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That in this shock and awe moment, God grabs Moses' attention and he says, what you saw that day so many years ago that made you angry? The oppression, the slavery, the years of hopelessness as your people lived as slaves. I saw it too. And I can't stand it anymore either. In fact, I'm going to do something about it from heaven. I'm going I'm to do it from heaven and you're going to be my guy on the ground, Moses. That you have a passion in your life, a fire. You can't stand idly by. I know what it does to your soul just to sit back. You're miserable. You can't take it anymore. You can't stand back anymore. I'm going to take that firestorm in you and I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to use it to set my people free. Well, if you know the rest of the story, Moses knows the passion's there, but he's, he's a little bit concerned whether he's actually the guy or not. And so he starts to throw all of these excuses at God of why he can't do it. And it's like God's playing tennis and he's firing it back at him, right? Like moment after moment. And eventually God gets to the place where he just looks at Moses and says, look, Moses, you're the guy. You're the man. You got what it takes. And I'm going to harness the passion in you. And out of that passion, a divine dream is birthed to see people be set free. And as we watch Moses and the rest of the story unfold, we watch Moses, driven by this passion, do whatever it takes for that dream, that purpose, to become a reality. Listen, every single one of us has passion. That you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And when God made you, he planted within you certain things that you value deeply, things that are hardwired to your soul, things that make you come alive. It's this passion in you that causes you from time to time to look at the world differently than other people see it. It's the right reason that when you look at the world, sometimes you, you turn your head. It's the reason why sometimes you look at the world, like you look at it in such a way and you go, whatever that is, like, like I can't take that anymore, like that I cannot stand for that anymore. And out of that passion, out of that passion, much like Moses, you can ignore it for a while, but sooner or later, it will make you miserable. But listen, when you get in touch with the passion of your life, it will direct your energies, your time, your thoughts. It will unleash in you a dream, a God-sized purpose for your life. For Moses, it was to set the people, the Hebrew people, free from Egypt. But as we read through the Old Testament, we see person after person with these passions that they've been given making a difference in the world. People like Nehemiah in the Old Testament. If you don't know Nehemiah's story, Nehemiah had a passion to protect the people, his people, the Hebrew people. 
And day after day, he would, he would be in Jerusalem and he would look out and he would see that there was no protection around the city, that kings and queens and empires and others, that they could come in and they could ransack uh, Jerusalem anytime that they wanted. And that passion riled up inside of him and he got to the point where he said, I can't take it anymore. And out of that, he began to pursue his purpose, which was to build the walls around Jerusalem and provide protection. We have people like King David. King David had a passion for God's glory. And on the battlefield, day after day, David watched this giant of a man named Goliath taunt and trash talk God before the Israelites. And as the people of Israel would stand on the sideline, the army, that they would just cower and be intimidated by this man. And eventually David gets to the point where he says, I, I can't take it anymore. I'm not going to allow God to be spoken about this way. I'm not going to allow the people of Israel to be bullied in this way. And he steps in. We don't even have to look to the Bible. We can, we can just look to more modern times. Everybody, one of us knows Mother Teresa, don't we? Mother Teresa saw the hopelessness on the streets, the helplessness. And in her soul, she said, I can't take it anymore. And what was birthed from that was missionaries of charity, changing the world. Walt Disney one day was out playing with his son in Anaheim, California. And as he played with his son, he realized that there was no safe, fun, clean place to play with parents and kids. He said, I can't take it anymore. And out of that, Disneyland's. Move a little closer to, to Crossroads and the heroes of, of this church, the Connie Zimmerman, in the 1980s, saw the homelessness that was created by the recession of the 80s. She saw homelessness everywhere, and she got to the point where she said, I can't take it anymore, and she prayed to God, and she said, God, you see all the homelessness? You should do something about this. And she says, as clear as day, I heard God say back, I am, you should join me. We have Brian Decker, a part of this church, saw families who couldn't put food on the table. Moved by that, he starts North Denver Cares Food Pantry. Pastor Kim, with transportation, starts more better bikes. Every single example, from Moses to Kim, saw a problem in this world that needed to be solved. That they saw something and they said, look, I just can't take it anymore. This is what's wrong with the world, and I'm going to take a positive action, a positive step to fix it. The passion drives them. And my question is, what's yours? What's yours? Do you know? Like, what is it that when you look out at the world, you say, it, it can't be that way anymore? What is it about this world that just wrecks you? For most of us, that's a difficult question to have asked, isn't it? We don't like the internal tension that it creates. Maybe we're like Moses and we don't actually believe we've got what it takes to make it happen. Or maybe we're so scared we just, we just run away drowning ourselves in the next Netflix series or, or maybe into a career where we don't have to, to think about it. Most of us don't like the discomfort that comes with it, do we? But I'll tell you, the most important thing that you can do in your life of finding your purpose is identifying the answer to that question. That when you look at, at the world, what wrecks you? Is it injustice, racial, poverty, abuse? Is it the seemingly, seemingly hopelessness of today's youth culture that has led to the highest suicide rates in our nation's history? Is it bad music? Is it the poor decisions that people make when it comes to their health? Is it the way that the government's run? Is it, is it the ethics that the business world operates by? Is it the ineffectiveness of churches? Is it a disease? What is it that wrecks you? A few years ago, 
God lit my heart on fire for the nation of Lebanon. Starting in 2015, this church invested in me to become its next senior pastor. And part of that investment was to send me to some senior leadership training every year put on by the Global uh, Leadership Network. And so every year, my wife and I, we would go out there and and I would get the training that I would need in in order to be able to one day lead this church. And in 2016, we went out there. And as part of the program was this pre-workshop that you could sign up for. And it was led by Richard Stearns, who was at the time the leader of World Vision. Now, Richard Stearns wrote a book that deeply impacted my life called The Hole in Your Gospel. It forever changed the way that I, that I saw things. And so my wife and I had the conversation, and it was like, man, this would be a cool chance just to hear from Richard Stern and, and to see what's going on. Little did I know what God was going to do that day. That as Richard Stern spoke, he spoke about a crisis that was happening in the world that most of the world, including the church, had totally turned a blind eye to. That over the course of a couple of hours, he spoke about what's known as the Syrian refugee crisis. And as I sat there and listened, I, I listened to the horrors and the hopelessness of the Syrian people. I listened to how families were separated, how bombs had blown up little kids how families and parents would wear keys around their necks, hoping that one day they would be able to return to their home. I listened as, as I realized that, that this was the greatest displacement of humanity since World War II, that it was a hopeless situa- situation. And as I heard those stories, there was something that hit me deep inside. See, I've always had a passion for bringing hope to the hopeless. See, when I read the scriptures, I see that we as Christians are not supposed to like run away from suffering, but rather that we are to turn and we are to run into suffering, bringing the hope of Jesus with us. That as we look back through history, church history, that the church is always the strongest, always, always is strongest when that's the core of who we are. And so in 2016, as I sat there listening to Richard Stearns, it was like my passion was just lit on fire. Afterwards, Sarah and I, we went out to lunch, and we both sat there and talked about the impact of that morning. And we said, we just we can't sit here. We just, this can't be this way, that, that we have to do something. And so when we returned to Colorado, I made a meeting with Ron Gerbrandt, who was our missions uh, leader at the time. And as passionately as I could, I, I shared with him what was going on with the Syrian refugee crisis. Little did I know that God was already working this church. That Ron began to speak and say that that God had brought a couple of relationships to the missions team over the last six months. Three individuals, Dan Chetty, Melanie Begau, and Pierre Husni, all in Lebanon, which just happened to be ground zero for the Syrian refugee crisis. Listen, I had no idea when I walked into that pre-workshop on that day what God would do in my life. But as I listened, there was something deep inside me that said, it can't be this way anymore. It just can't be this way anymore. And so over the last several years, I've just made a simple prayer. My simple prayer just goes like this. God, as I look out at the world, like, like I can't stand this. I can't take this anymore. So you use me. However it is, you just use me to move in this way. And he has. That over the, Lord, so the, uh, over the course of the last couple of years, I've taken several trips to Lebanon to be on the ground with the Syrian refugees and in the midst of the crisis. That through the organizations that I have influence over, including this church, that I've been a part of raising $250,000 for our partners there. That I was on the ground floor of a planning team to move good leadership in for business leaders and churches that are now annually training hundreds of, of leaders in that country. 
that I build relationships with people all over the globe who are figuring out ways to impact this crisis, that God took my passion and said, let's do this together. And it has been an incredible ride. I've said this before, but, but my, on my wall at my house is this huge canvas. And on this huge canvas is a quote from Bob Goff, one of my favorite authors. I read it every day as I walk out the house, out of the house. Bob said it like this, that every day, every day, God invites us into the same kind of adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us this rigid itinerary. He simply invites us. God asks us what it is that he's made us to love what it is that captures our attention, what it is that feeds that deep, indescribable need of our souls to experience the richness of this world that he made. And then leaning over, he whispers, let's go do that together. What is it that God wants to do with you? What wrecks you when you look out at this world? You want to know your purpose? Figure that out. Take some risks and then go do it. See, when it comes to this passion thing, it's just not some random thing floating around in your life. There's a reason that you are who you are. There's a reason that you think the way that you think and feel the way that you feel. There's a reason that you do what you do. There's a reason that you've had the journey that you've had in this life where in times in this world that you look and you cock your head and you go, no, 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 it can't be that way. See, you we're created with purpose, that every single one of us has purpose. And the reason, the reason that it's there is because you were created in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And our God is a passionate God. It was out of God's passion that this entire world was created and, and life was formed in it that he created this world and he created us to serve and to enjoy him and to enjoy the world that he had made. But us humans, we didn't want to do it God's way. We wanted to do it our own way. And in our sin, we marred not only ourselves, but we marred God's beautiful world that he had created. And God watched our sin wreck this world. He watched the darkness begin to fill it. He watched death and disease come in and evil overwhelmed. And it looked completely helpless. But God said, it can't be that way anymore. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to earth, not only to show us what it looks like to serve and to worship God, but also what it means to truly live. I mean, it was Jesus himself who in John said what his purpose is. He came with purpose. He said, my purpose is to seek and save that which is lost. He lived a perfect life, but then died on the cross. Why? Because that sin of ours, it had to be paid for. And so Jesus became your sacrifice and he became my sacrifice. He became the final sacrifice to pay for the curse, the curse that we deserve, the curse of death that we deserve because of our sin. And he freed us into grace. Three days later, he rose from the grave for all those who believe. We are now reconciled with God. Listen, despite your sin, you are a child of God. That you are more broken than you can ever imagine, but more loved than you could ever dream possible. Come on, your passion is not just the key to a better and more satisfying life. Your passion is the telltale sign that you have a God who loves you 
who wants to be in relationship with you, who calls you his child. And if you're ready to explore what that looks like in your life, we've made it really simple. You can simply text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. As you do, we have people ready to walk in that journey with you. There's nothing that would bring us more joy than for you to understand how passionately you're loved by God. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion together. But before we do, I just want to pray for us and the passions that God gives to us. Would you bow with me, Father? Lord, we come here today knowing that we are in your presence. Lord, realizing, Lord, that we're your passion. Lord, the, the crown of creation, us humans. And Lord, with that, we, we marred by our sin the beautiful world that you've created. But Lord, in that, you, you wouldn't stand for it. You wouldn't just let it be. You, you sent your son in to die for our sins. And for that, we give you thanks. And so Lord, as we look at our own passion in our life, we realize that it's not there by accident, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, that there's a reason that we see the world the way that we do. There's a reason that we get excited for the things that we get excited for. Lord, that you've put that passion in every single one of us. And so Lord, I pray that you would bring it alive in us. Lord, that you would show it to those of us who don't know what it is. For those of us who are scared, Lord, that, that you would help us jump over. Lord, for those of us who don't think that we have what it takes, Lord, that you would give us encouragement. For those of us who think that we're too old, Lord, that you would just remind us that this story of Moses happened when he was 80. Lord, you have fearfully and wonderfully made us. You have given us passion. Lord, let us live it for you. And in doing so, Lord, let it remind us of the love that you have for each and every one of us. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. As we celebrate communion together, this is our hope. This is the picture of, of God's passion, of Jesus' passion for us, that he went to the cross, body broken for our sins, spilling his blood for our forgiveness so that we might have life, that we might have hope, that we might have purpose. And so today we remember the passion of Jesus by eating the bread. drinking the cup. As we move in a time of worship with singing, if you need prayer at any time, whether that be online or, or here in-house, we just ask you to seek it out. Online, it's easy. You just click the button. If you're in-house here at Thornton, you can make your way to the back left. There will be people there to pray for you. We consider it a privilege to be able to pray, all right? Why don't you go ahead and stand? as we sing these songs together. <laughs>